under the Pharaoh in Egypt. Tell them the story about how God brought us out with a mighty hand and he showed signs and wonders, great and severe, and Egypt and the Pharaoh and all of his household experienced that. And how he brought us out from there to bring us in to this land that we now dwell. And God's taking care of, see listen, your story is important. Your testimony is important. God has done great things in the lives of each of his children. This includes you. You may not have a spectacular, earth-shattering story to share, but your testimony is still important. What you've experienced in your life will touch someone else and reveal God to them in a unique way. In today's message, Pastor Daniel encourages each of us to share our testimony of faith with everyone, including future generations of believers. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part two of his message, A Warning. Verse 16, you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies and his statutes, which he commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you. And that you may go in and possess the good land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to cast out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has spoken. Now, this is the passage that Jesus actually quotes back to Satan when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness. You shall fear the Lord God and serve him. And then later it says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So this is a verse that I hope you realize that in context, Jesus being tempted in the wilderness is the New Testament parallel to Adam and Eve being tempted in the Garden of Eden. Now, think about the differences. Because Adam is called the first Adam and Jesus is called the second Adam. Think about this. Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. They lived in paradise. Everything was there, right? They have an abundance of food, but they have one prohibition. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? But Adam and Eve in paradise, surrounded by food, with one tree that had a prohibition. All the other trees were full of fruit. They could eat anything they want except one tree. Adam and Eve were tempted and failed. Now, by contrast, Jesus, the second Adam, He's in the wilderness, and he's been fasting for 40 days. So he's not, you can eat whatever you want except one tree. He's in the wilderness. It's not paradise. It's desolate, and there's no food he hasn't eaten for 40 days. And yet when the serpent comes, when Satan comes and tempts Jesus, Jesus doesn't fail. It shows that Jesus is the new and better Adam, who although tempted, was without sin. Most people don't make those parallels, that they don't realize that Jesus is fulfilling what Adam couldn't. 
By extension, you could also say that Jesus in his wilderness temptation is also the fulfillment of all the hopes and dreams of Israel because Jesus was in the wilderness and Israel was in the wilderness. And as we see, that Israel failed in a million ways when they were tempted in the wilderness. But Jesus was in the wilderness and was not tempted or swayed. It's powerful. If you start reading your Bible, you start to put all these things together and you say, wow, wow. That's why Jesus, because of his, though he was tempted as we are yet without sin, that's why Jesus was the worthy sacrifice on the cross. Because he lived the life that we have failed to live. And God accepted him in our place. Now, part of this warning, again, is to see our relationship with God rightly. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve the Lord your God. These are important realities. We talk about fearing the Lord a lot. We see it all through our Bibles, from Genesis to Revelation. It's part of the relationship. We always want to remember that God has a personal and intimate and casual relationship with us, but we also have to remember who he is. Jesus ain't your homeboy. He's your Lord and Savior. He's the King and Kings and Lord of Lords, and he's the best friend you'll ever have. So it is both a casual relationship, but he's so much more than just your bro. Does that make sense? And so this idea of fearing God is such an important reality. And we talk about this a lot. The idea of serving the Lord. I think this is important. Because Jesus said the greatest in his kingdom is the servant of all. And our culture loves leadership, right? Like the most popular Christian podcasts are all leadership podcasts. There's not one popular servanthood podcast. Because our culture doesn't value servanthood, it values leadership. We want leaders, great leaders. Jesus says, I want great servants. And that is a cultural reality that we have to deal with. Jesus isn't interested in leaders, he's interested in servants. And the difference between a leader and a servant is in the heart. Because a servant says, I'm a servant of God. Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And a leader says, I need to lead. I will not stoop down to be that kind of a servant. I am much more gifted than that. And it's a heart condition problem. It's so important. Jesus said, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If the king of kings and lord of lords came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, we should never say that's beneath me. I can't do that. No, we're servants of the Most High God. And we should love to be servants of the Most High God. We should be able to say, you know what? I'm just a servant. I do whatever my master asks me to do. It doesn't matter. I don't need the big title or this thing. I'm just a servant of the king. And we should be totally content with that as our identity. We should be content with that. But can we be honest for a second? Are we really content with that as our identity? I'm just a servant of the king. In our culture, that's a pretty aggravating reality. Right? You're like, I don't want that. But we should serve the Lord our God. And we serve him because he first served us. 
We just respond to the, the Lord. That's why we always talk about simply responding to Jesus. Because when we realize what Jesus has done for us, all we can do is say, oh, Lord, because you did that, can I do something I can do? See, you have to ask yourself, are you serving the Lord or are you expecting everyone to serve you? For many of us, all of our relationships break down on that point. We actually have bought in to a lie that says everybody exists to please me. Which is exactly what the serpent told Adam and Eve they would understand if they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because really what you're doing is you're saying, I'm God and everybody exists for my pleasure. And guess what? You're not God. And neither am I. Although sometimes we want to convince ourselves that everybody exists for our happiness, for what we want. But when we realize that God is God and God in his nature serves us, then we say, Lord, I want to serve. And we serve God by serving people. That's how we do it. I always say, Lord, I want to love you more. He says, if you want to love me more, love people more. Because I know that you love me by loving others. And then God reminds me, like, I'm easy to love. I'm God. I've taken care of you. I'm your father who knows everything about you and adopted you into my family. I have taken care of you. I sent my son to die and rise again. I gave you my Holy Spirit, and my Holy Spirit dwells in you, Daniel, and is cultivating my life in your crazy body. He's like, I've taken good care of you. I'm easy to love, but I still love you. And you're a little hard to love sometimes. And it's true. Because God doesn't love us because we're lovable. God loves us because he's love. He does that. And then he says, now I want you to love other people too. Especially your enemies. I want you to love your enemies. See, when God's nature is love, love can love anybody. And when God shares his nature of love with us, we can learn how to love people who we completely disagree with. Not saying that love agrees with everything. God loves us. He doesn't agree with everything we do. Can I get an amen? Amen. Every single day. I love my wife, and she loves me. She doesn't agree with everything I do. I know that's shocking. You would expect that Lynn would be like, oh, Dan, you get everything right. Not. But she loves me. I know that she does, even though sometimes she gives me that smile and that little head shake, a little sigh, and I know that I missed the mark, but she still loves me, even though she doesn't agree. So loving your enemies doesn't mean you agree with your enemies, it's that you choose to share God's love with them more than you choose to share your displeasure at disagreeing with them. Because disagreement just furthers disagreements, but love transforms relationships. We need to be servants, my friends. And if you're saying right now, so Fusco, that's great. How do I become a servant? You need to get in your Bibles and you need to watch the life of Jesus. You need to read. You need to see the life of the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter. Read the book of Acts. Read Paul's letters. You see all these pictures of what servanthood looks like and doesn't look like. And Jesus is the ultimate servant. We need to get down deep into what the cross was all about, what God was up to there. That is a textbook lesson on servanthood from the one person who did it perfectly. 
And we say, Lord, as we're reading, say, Lord, make me like that by your spirit. Lord, change my heart so that I want to move through life as Jesus moves through life. I want Jesus to move through my life. So we want to be servants. Now, in verse 14, it says, don't go after other gods, the gods of the people all around you, for the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. So again, the Ten Commandments begins with, you shall have no other gods before me. And so you have to worship the right God, and you have to worship the right God in the right way. So one of the temptations is is to run after the other gods of the other nations that the children of Israel were going into. And the same thing is true today. We live in a society where the world is a global village. And it's very easy to run after the gods of other cultures or other people. Where we need to make sure that we worship the true and living God in the way that God has prescribed. Now, again, every time I read that God is a jealous God, I want to make the point because one of the most famous personalities today, Oprah Winfrey, uses this verse as the reason why she stopped believing in the God of the Bible. She said, I heard about God being a jealous God, and I thought to myself, why would I ever believe in a God who is jealous? Because Oprah made the mistake of reading the word jealousy in its worst possible context. When you hear someone who's jealous, you think of somebody who is insecure and irrational and, you know, like, you know, a crime of passion because they thought you smiled at somebody in the restaurant and a big thing erupts right? God's jealousy is part of God's perfection. And the easiest way to explain it is this. If I love my wife and she said to me, I love somebody else. Do you mind if I love you both? And I said, sure, no problem. Is that real love? No. You should be jealous for the love of your spouse. You should want your spouse to love only you and not be okay with it. And if you are okay with it, I'd say you don't really love them. See, there is an aspect to true, committed, faithful love that involves jealousy. Not irrational, flying off the handle, fits of rage jealousy, but the fact that we've made a commitment and we intend to keep that and we're going to guard that jealously. Like as a parent... I jealously guard the purity of my kids. I care about them. So I want to make sure they don't see things that I don't want them to see. I want to make sure that their hearts can be unspotted by the world as long as I humanly can. And I do that because I love them and I keep a jealous guard over those things in my home because I care about them. Not because I don't love them, but because I totally do. And I feel responsible for them. So when it says that the Lord your God is a jealous God, he's jealous for your heart because he knows you should belong only to him. And you belonging only to him is the highest virtue in the universe because he's saying you will only be whole if you know my love. And if you run after other gods and you begin to live other ways, it is going to diminish who you are. And I am so passionate that you be who I created you to be and why Jesus died that you would be. So don't ever think that God's jealousy is insecurity or capriciousness. God's jealousy is rooted in radical love, a love that is so profound that he would send Jesus to die on a cross for our sins. 
God's jealousy, we, I'm grateful that we serve a jealous God. A God who's saying, I have created you and I know the work that I want to do in your life and I'm jealous for your blessing and I'm jealous that you stay as my own because if you stray away, you will get hurt and I love you too much for that. And it's a huge mistake to think of God's jealousy as some sort of divine insecurity that leads to calamity. It's not that way. God's jealousy knows that if you stray, calamity will happen. That's what's going to happen. So you have this reality. And, you know, and then he gets again, don't tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him at Massa. And so, again, we have this reminder of the, the wilderness wanderings. We're reminded of Exodus chapter 17 when they put God to the test in the hour of crisis. That people needed water. So we don't want to put God to that. We don't want to test God and tempt God. We don't want to live in such a way that puts God into that place. We should just trust him and love him. Now, again, in verse 17, it's about keeping the commandments of the Lord, following after Jesus. Now, we know Jesus keeps the commandments of the Lord, but... When you follow Jesus, you start to realize that God has very specific ethics that he asks us to live by. And we live those things out because we want our lives to declare who Jesus is. So things like loving, joy, peace, all the fruit of the Spirit, patience, that's a nasty one. Right? We want to live those realities out. We want to diligently keep him. The Apostle John in 1 John says the commandments of the Lord are not burdensome. They're actually a joy because we know that it brings glory to God and blessings to people. So that idea of obedience, we need to be obedient. And I love this because it goes from diligently keeping his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes that in verse 18, and you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you and that you may go in and possess a good land, which the Lord has sworn to your fathers, and he's going to cast out all your enemies from before you. So us, our obedience leads to us experiencing all that God has for us, because each one of us live our lives before the Lord, right? Everything, it's not just before your boss or your parents or your spouse or your kids or your neighbors. Each one of us lives our lives before the Lord. He sees everything, and God his desire is to bless. And isn't that what we see all the way through as we've been studying the Bible together? God's desire is to bless. Oftentimes people say, oh, the God of the Old Testament is so angry. No, no, all the way along, he wants to bless. His desire is to bless his people. But his people have a part to play in that. And obedience becomes an important part of our lives. Now, look at what it says in verse 20. It says, when your son asks you in the time to come saying, what is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household. Verse 23, then he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, 
that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Verse 25, then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he commanded us. Now, I love this because Moses reminds them that a day is going to be coming when a generation who who didn't see all this, they're going to say, so what's up with all these laws that we do? And then he says, when that happens, in effect, tell them your story. Tell them the God story. Tell them the story of how we were slaves under the Pharaoh in Egypt. Tell them the story about how God brought us out with a mighty hand and he showed signs and wonders, great and severe, and Egypt and the Pharaoh and all of his household experienced that. And how he brought us out from there to bring us in to this land that we now dwell. And God's taking care of, see, listen, your story is important. Your testimony is important. And each one of us should live in such a way that when they see our lives and they see the way that we live, they're going to say, so why do you do that? And then you tell them your story. It's really not your story. It's God's story in your life. How many times from Genesis to Revelation do you hear the repetition of we were slaves in Egypt and God brought us out with a mighty hand and he brought us into the promised land? Like hundreds of times and sometimes long form, sometimes in just one verse, over and over and over again. If you were to talk to a Jewish person today and say, so how did the Jewish people come into being? They're going to tell you the Exodus narrative. It is a defining story of their lives. And my friends, Your story is God's story in your life. And I want you to be unashamed to tell people your story. For some of you, you grew up in a great godly home. Parents weren't perfect, but they loved the Lord. And from there, some of you went, took that step, and you went right into following Jesus. And you've been following Jesus your whole life. That's a great testimony. Praise God for godly parents. And never rebelling. Some of you were raised in a great and godly home, and you went off the deep end. You were going to show your parents that they were wrong, right? And you strayed away, and then God brought you back. And guess what? Praise God for his faithfulness. What a testimony that even though you got away from the Lord, you can't get away from the Lord. Some of you grew up in families that were the most ungodly thing that ever lived. And everything about your life was completely antithetical for the teachings of the Bible. And along life's way, God grabbed you. And he forgave you and he transformed your life. That's your story. And that is who you are and what God has done in your life. And God wants you to share your story. Because God gets glory in bringing people to himself. And each one of us has his testimony. We have a tendency to think, oh, well, you know, Fusco's testimony, he's got a crazy testimony. He can tell you crazy stories. And that's a good, that's a good, no, no. Your testimony is a good testimony. It doesn't matter what the details are. It's the story of the true and living God transforming your life. And I want to give you the encouragement, just like Moses gave the children of Israel to tell their descendants the story. I want to give you the liberty to tell your story. And your story's not finished yet. There's all sorts of chapters of your story, if you're listening to this right now, that is yet to be written. But if you are following Jesus, God is going to write that story. Jesus is real. 
Your individual testimony can speak volumes to someone else. In today's message, Pastor Daniel encouraged all of us to share our stories of God's work in our lives. What we've learned can help others in similar situations connect with the love of their Creator. Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel Fusco here. I'm the lead pastor of Crossroads Community Church. I love that God invites all of us to be a part of His family, and I wanted to invite you to be a part of my family of faith in Vancouver, services on Sundays at 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 1 p.m., or in Southwest Portland, our service on Sundays at 10 a.m., as well as midweek services Wednesday at 7 p.m. at both campuses. We would love to have you join us, and if you're at a distance, check us out on our internet campus, crossroadslive.tv. I look forward to seeing you soon. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel talks about God's justice. Throughout the scripture, we find our perfect and mighty God giving multiple chances for repentance, also not allowing evil to continue unchecked. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.